And so, Father, we do pray that you would lead us to the cross and that you would speak to us. Help us to preach um, your word, Lord Jesus. Amen. Of course, Noah had, had a heck of a job, really. He had to go out and collect all of the animals in the world by twos, two mosquitoes, male or female. And uh, he had to keep telling the rabbits, only two, only two, only two. So we find Noah pulling up the last two animals, two hippos, and he's really in a hurry to get them up because he's afraid that the Lord's going to call him and ask him to do something else, and his nerves are shot. This is one heck of a job for a man 600 years old. So we find him pulling up the last two hippos, and of course the Lord does call him there. Come on, fat hippos, hurry up. Come on, will you please? Noah. What? <laughs> what do you want? You gotta take one of those hippos out and bring in another one. What for? Because you got two males down there and you need to bring in a female. I'm not bringing nothing in. You change one of them. <laughs> Come on, you know I don't work like that. Oh, I'm sick and tired of this. I've had enough of this stuff. I've been working all day, working on for days and days. I'm sick and tired of this. Noah? Yeah? How long can you tread water? <laughs> yeah, well, I got news for you. I'm sick and tired of this whole mess. If I've done the whole neighborhood's out there laughing at me. You're all having a grand time at good old Noah there. I went out and got my best friend Larry. I said, Larry, listen, I've been talking with the Lord. Larry said, oh, really? I said, yeah, yeah, that's it. Lord Larry, Larry Lord, you walked off there laughing, I hear them all up there laughing at me. You know I'm the only guy in this neighborhood with an ark? People around there laughing, picket signs, walking up and down. I'm sick and tired of this stuff here. People are walking around there, how you doing, Tarzan? How's everything up there? Sick and tired of this mess here. You're supposed to know all and see all. You let me go out there and bring in a pregnant elephant. You give me no manual for delivery and nothing. Never told me the thing was pregnant. There's good old Noah waiting underneath the elephant there. Boom, right on top of the all that stuff for you running around you're supposed to know all and see all like I said before you let me go out there and do all this stuff here you never even looked in the bottom of that ark have you looked down there no who's gonna clean up that mess down there that's me I'll tell you that I've had enough of this stuff. I'll tell you what I'm gonna do I'm letting all these animals out and then I'm gonna burn down this ark and I'm going to Florida somewhere because you haven't done nothing I'm sick and tired of all this mess you're fooling around and you haven't done nothing except as you got it raining This is not a shower, is it? Okay, Lord, me and you, right? Because I knew all the time everything was like Well, I kind of think uh, Bill Cosby has it right. I mean, do you ever feel like that? Well, I can relate uh, to Noah pretty easy. I mean, I think God asked me to build a church. I think he asked us to build a church. He asked Noah to build an ark, and they want to say, you do it. Um, I think he asked us to build his church somehow. Several years ago, I felt like he was pointing me downtown. year and a half ago, I felt like he was just pushing me downtown. Outrageous circumstances, people with visions, co-workers, open doors, and now here we are downtown. And I think I have an idea as to why, but I'm not totally sure as to why. And that makes me feel stupid, kind of ridiculous, kind of foolish, like Noah But it's not just church downtown. It's church. I mean, I cannot tell you the number of times that I've basically prayed this prayer. Jesus, surely you've got a better plan for saving the world than church. I mean, you're the Savior. Why would you want to use the church? God, you are omniscient, you are omnipresent, you are omnipotent. Why would you want potlucks? Right? And committee meetings. 
And a bunch of people singing off key. And you were on key, by the way. Not that I can tell. But why, God, would you want to use insecure, self-conscious, cantankerous people like myself? Why? Surely you have a better plan, Lord. Why don't you do it? You change them. You build your ark. Well, I can relate to Noah. I would think you could too. Have you ever thought about just how incredibly strange this story is? I don't mean flood geology or how elephants get onto arks. I mean how strange it is that God would tell Noah, make it. The Hebrew word is asah. And God says, Noah, you make it, but we've just read how God makes a saw everything. Everything. All things. God just made space and time, quantum mechanics, general relativity, dry land, the waters above and the waters below. He made crawdads, wombats, butterflies, water buffaloes. He made diamonds, rubies, gold and iron, and he made trees. Do you have any idea how utterly simple one boat is compared to one strand of DNA in one cell in one tree? And so you see, God makes all the hard stuff. He makes the wood for the timber. He makes the iron for the nails. He makes Noah. And then he says, Noah, you pound the nail. Years ago when I finished my basement, I I mapped it out. I bought the wood. I cut the wood. I placed the wood. I'd place the nail. And then my seven-year-old Coleman would say, can I help? And I'd say, sure, buddy, compound this nail. You know, it was always harder with Coleman. And there was a good chance that I'd be hurt, injured by Coleman. But it was a gift to Coleman because I wanted him to share my joy and be made in my image as me and Coleman made the basement. And so anyway, God makes everything, heaven and earth, iron and trees, even Noah He subjects the world to futility, yet he never loses control. He puts all things in their place, including Noah, and then he says, hey, Noah, buddy, come here. Pound this nail. Build an ark. You know, this is the very first thing that God asks any man to build, an ark for a flood Why? I mean, on a lot of levels. I mean, God could have just sent the swine flu, right? Given Noah the vaccine. Why a flood? Why an ark? Why why Noah? Will God ask us to build an ark? What's an ark? Genesis Chapter 6, verse 5. Such a weird story. Probably wouldn't preach on it, but we're preaching through Genesis, and this was right there. Next thing. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's bad. And the Lord was sorry, had sorrow, that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. Have you ever seen God's heart? From the bosom of the Father? It's nailed to a tree on a holy mountain establishing a covenant. Well, you see, our sin hurts God's heart. It doesn't say God is angry or furious or all ticked off, but but grieved. It's the same word that's used to describe Eve's labor pains just a few chapters before. Well, the Lord is grieved, and Paul tells us all creation groans in 
labor pains, waiting for the revealing of the sons of glory. Maybe God feels sorrow like a mother in labor feels sorrow and cries out in pain. Verse 7, so the Lord cried out, I will blot him out, I'll blot out man whom I have created from the, from the face of the land. Man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I'm sorry that I made him. I have sorrow that I made him. So I'll blot him out. That's God's judgment. Send a flood on the whole thing. Blot him out. But look. We're still here. We weren't blotted out because of the ark. Must have been a pretty amazing ark. Not to simply withstand a flood, but to weather the judgment of God. And you see, that, my friends, is the real wonder. Now, I probably need to digress for a minute because some of you are still wondering over the wrong thing. We tend to wonder at the flood and the world's largest floating zoo rather than wondering at the mystery of God's judgment and how an ark of a covenant could give birth to an entire new creation. So let me just talk about science and scripture for a moment and then we'll move on. Some people, you see, think that this story is a parable, not to be taken literally or scientifically. The problem is that other biblical authors and Jesus seem to take it rather literally. Well, some argue that the flood was a local flood. The word for earth is also translated land, and that's not messing with the text. It it really is, Eretz. And the word for heaven is also uh, translated sky. So the flood covered the whole land under the sky. We read that the waters covered the highest mountain under the sky to a depth of 15 cubits. You know how much 15 cubits is? It's just 22 feet. That's all. The highest mountain sounds like a hill under the sky somewhere in Mesopotamia, not Mount Everest. Mesopotamia was prone to to floods, And it's interesting that a great number of ancient cultures, especially around Mesopotamia, have similar ancient flood stories. Recently, two senior scientists from Columbia University uncovered amazing evidence for a cataclysmic flood around the Black Sea about 7,000 years ago. A massive area of land was suddenly inundated by the ocean, burying this immense area under 500 feet of water that is now the Black Sea. Black Sea, Mesopotamia, some argue that Noah's flood was a local flood. Yet the New Testament says that the world perished. So some argue that the flood was global. And then they come up with these elaborate scientific explanations. They usually call it like flood geology, stuff like that. But speaking as an old geology major, it just doesn't make much sense at all to me. But you know, God spoke all creation into existence with just a word. So if God wants, he can create a million, gillion, jazillion, billion, gillion gallons of water out of nothing and then make it disappear into nothing. God does whatever he wants to do. And I do not know exactly what he did do And to be honest, I really don't care that much anymore. I really don't care if there's an old ark on the mountains of Ararat, and that's because I'm convinced a real ark touched this earth on another mountain named Calvary, Zion. And the glory of that ark just far surpasses any old floating zoo. So verse 7, I will blot them out, verse 8, but Noah found grace. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and, and Japheth. Noah actually means rest. In the last chapter, when Noah was born, his father prophesied, this one will bring us rest like sabbath 
like the seventh day. Noah is like the Lord of the Sabbath. And if you work the math, I think you realize that I didn't work the math. Commentators told me this. Noah was the first man that was born after Adam died. Because remember, he lived a long time. First man after Adam died. Noah's like the second Adam. And he repopulates the earth. He even plants a garden and gets naked. Unfortunately, he's drunk and he curses uh, a whole line of his descendants and God has to admit the heart of man is still evil. So Noah is very much a man like us. Yet in verse 9, Scripture says he was righteous and blameless. But Scripture tells us no one is righteous except God or Jesus You know, the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 7, tells us Noah inherited his righteousness from someone like you would inherit a cloak. So Noah was a man like you, like me, and yet it's like there was another man, a new man, a Lord of the Sabbath, a second Adam, covering Noah, working through Noah. Verse 11. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, And the earth was filled with violence, Hamas, cruelty, injustice, destruction. By the way, the group Hamas doesn't say that's what the word means in Arabic, but in Hebrew, that's what it means. The earth was filled with violence, and God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh. For the earth is filled with violence. Violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. The earth was filled with violence. You know, there are different types of violence. Right? There's physical violence. There's psychological violence. Racial violence, economic violence. There's there's spiritual violence. Genesis tells us that the earth was full of it, flooded with it. Jesus tells us that when he comes again, and even now, it's as in the days of Noah. Same thing. We know if the earth is filled with violence, we'd be like just swimming in it, right? Swimming in it, and we wouldn't even know it. Like the old Chinese proverb says, if you want to know what water is, don't ask a fish. If you want to know what water is, don't ask a fish. Why? Because water is all a fish knows. Perhaps violence is all we know. You know, we even have a popular idea that violence explains life. But even Darwin will tell you, violent competition, the survival of the fittest doesn't explain life. It explains the limits of life. It explains death. Life, life itself is the opposite of violence. It's self-sacrifice, cooperation, communion. It's one molecule, one cell, one member serving all the others. That's life. But in this life, in this world, that maybe isn't life, life consumes life. Like one cell feeds on another cell in a body that's laced with cancer. You know, the creation is literally eating itself. I imagine you did it at lunch. Body and blood. And because we swim in it, we just think it's normal. The earth is filled with violence, but soon it will be filled with judgment. Filled with something new. 
Isaiah chapter 11, the prophet foretells the Messiah, listen to this, with righteousness he will judge the poor and decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth. And he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Also righteousness will be the belt about his loins and faithfulness the belt about his waist. And the wolf, that's a carnivore, will lie down with the lamb. And the leopard will lie down with the young goat and the calf and the young lion and the fatling all together and a little boy will lead them. The cow and the bear will graze. Their young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like an ox. The nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra and the weaned child will put his hand on the viper's den. They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And then in that day, the nations will resort to the root of Jesse, who will stand as a sign, a signal for the peoples, and his resting place, his rest, will be glorious. But now, the earth is absolutely full of violence. Next verse. Noah, make yourself an ark of gopher wood, gopher tree. It's probably cypress. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark 300 cubits, its breadth 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. The description of Noah's ark is very similar to the description of the tabernacle and the ark of the covenant. The second thing that God asks man to make. The ark of the covenant. Next verse. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die, but I will establish my covenant with you. And you shall come into the ark, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Now, now here's a, a huge miracle, let me interject, uh, that would have been rather obvious to a Hebrew farmer, right? All these animals go into a big box, an ark, and they don't eat each other. I mean, the wolf dwells with the lamb. The leopard lies down by the goat. The lion and the ox. You see, the ark is like a sanctuary governed by a new covenant. And the covenant is mercy, chesed. It means covenant love. And the sanctuary of this ark of the covenant is literally the new creation. It is the new community of life. It is literally a lifeboat. Next verse shall be male and female of the birds according to their kinds of the animals according to their kinds of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind two of every sort shall come into you to keep them alive Did you get that god says to noah every sort will come in to you to keep them alive come into you and the hebrew is explicit noah you'll go into the ark and then all will come into you God talks like Noah himself is the ark. As if Noah himself could somehow build the boat with his very own body. And that's a weird idea, huh? Because if Noah built the boat with his own body, who would pound the nails? Just a thought. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. If anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. There's a new creation floating around somewhere in Christ. First Peter 3.18, Christ suffered 
that he might bring us to God on a holy mountain. Because according to Peter, the earth is about to experience a flood, not a flood of water, but a flood of fire and light, the glorious judgment of God. Well, Noah entered the ark, and on the seventh day, seventh day, the flood came, judgment came. Seven, verse 17, the flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth, lifted high above the earth. Now is the judgment of this world, said Jesus. And I, when I be lifted up from the earth. He was lifted up, nailed to a tree the great sign of the covenant. The flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly upon the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. The ark floated on judgment. Check it out. Jesus said this. God sends his rain on the just and the unjust. One judgment. But the very judgment that condemns the world is the very judgment that lifts Noah up and out of the world. And so Noah isn't saved from judgment, he's saved through judgment, even by judgment. The judgment on this earth is a flood of fire. Our God is a consuming fire. And our God is one. And our God is love. Whatever is opposed to love must be consumed by love. And whatever surrenders to love will be lifted and filled with love and life and life. In fact, it's already happening. Chapter 3, verse 19 of the Gospel of John. This is the judgment the light has come into the world. Well, the waters cover the earth, and it's clear from how the story is told that God is decreating. He's uncreating. The story is creation in reverse, up until chapter 8, verse 1, when we read this, but God remembered Noah. And all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind. This should sound familiar. A wind to blow over the earth. That's over the face of the waters. And the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. The rain from, heavens, uh, the, uh, the rain from the heavens was restrained. And the waters receded from the earth continually. In judgment, God remembers Noah and recreates the world, or perhaps creates the world. Well, the ark came to rest on a mountain, a holy mountain. Chapter 9, verse 1, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Well, Noah is clearly a picture of the second Adam, but also the first Adam. I mean, Noah is a picture of Jesus, and he's a picture of us. So Jesus the carpenter built an ark of the covenant, and he lets us, actually he arranges everything for us to pound the nails. That means that God spoke into the void making the heavens and the earth. He separated the waters above from the waters below. He made the dry land appear. He placed iron in the land. He made DNA and he made trees. 
And he said, let us make man in our own image and likeness. And he subjected the world to futility, consigning all men to disobedience. Then just at the right time, he grew a tree somewhere near Mount Calvary on Mount Zion, and he emptied himself, wrapped himself in flesh, was placed in a wooden box, an ark called a manger. He came into this world as a slave, the last and the least, and yet he arranged it all. Pilate? Herod, Israel, the empire of Rome. And then he laid himself down on that tree on Mount Calvary. And from there he says to you, would you give me your violence? Would you give me your sin? Stop eating the creation. Eat me. Body broken. Bloodshed. Give me your sin. You know, God cannot sin. And he does not will sin. Yet when you do sin, You pound the nail. And you reveal God's mercy. You pound the nail and build an ark of body broken and bloodshed. It it may feel like a curse, and yet God in his sovereign power transforms it into the greatest blessing. For when you pound the nail, you reveal God's mercy. And when you see God's mercy, for you've already pounded the nail, you've already sinned. When you see God's mercy, you are transformed into mercy. You are made in God's image and you become the body of Christ. Even body broken and bloodshed, you become the ark floating in a sea of violence. You see, we are the ark that Christ is building. And we help build it for others and with others when we suffer violence in Christ's name. When we allow our body to be broken and our blood shed, when we forgive. It's another way to say it. When we love as he loved us, then we're the ark. A community of life bound in the covenant of love, floating on a sea of violence and death. Noah and the ark is Jesus and his church. The church. The Ark of the Covenant, the tabernacle, the sanctuary, the new Jerusalem coming down and resting on Mount Zion. The church. The church isn't a building. The church is not a program. The church is not an institution. It's a community of life. And it's a boat. It's a lifeboat. And you're on it, not because you chose it, but because he chose you, because he made you his family, his body and blood. He made you his bride. Jesus told us, I build the boat. I build the church. He builds the boat, the lifeboat, and Jesus told us that he would sail it right to the gates of hell and beyond. Someone said, a boat is most safe when it remains in the harbor. But that is not what a boat is made for. Sanctuary, um, you're a boat. You are a lifeboat. All week I kept thinking of, of this scene.
Rose. Hold on just a little bit longer. They, they had to roll away for the suction, but now they'll be coming back. don't understand. If we go back, they'll swamp the boat. They'll pull us right down, I'm telling you. Knock it off. You're scaring me. Come on, girls. Grab an oar. Let's go. Are you out of your mind? We're in the middle of the North Atlantic. Now, do you people want to live or do you want to die? I don't understand a one of you. What's the matter with you? It's your men out there! There's plenty of room for more! And there'll be one less on this boat. If you don't shut that hole in your face! That's Molly Brown, from Colorado. <laughs> but you see, uh, when the Titanic went down, there were 1,500 people that went into the water. And there, are 20, there were 20 lifeboats. Uh, they weren't all full. They rode away from the section, and only one, only one came back. And so this was the situation. I'll see if I can adjust this. But you see that in the middle there? Lots of drowning people. And all around the drowning people, lifeboats. 20 lifeboats. It kind of it reminds me of this. That's, that's a picture of Denver. Now, this is, a, this is a gross, I'll repeat it again, a gross oversimplification, so don't make too much of this. But by and large, it seems that the folks with the most resources are, are out here, where the boats were in the Titanic, and the greatest concentration of drowning people, lots of drowning people, is down here in the middle. Now, this right about here is where... I live in the suburbs. This is right up where I used to pastor. I remember sitting at my desk and staring out to the east at, at, the, at the city, time and time again asking this question. In fact, we used to ask it as a session. In effect, it was this. How can we get our boats, how can we get our resources down to the sea. Now by resources, please understand, I mean way, way more than money. Drowning people really don't need money. Your money. Or a program. Or an education. They need you. And not just you. They need a family. They need to be adopted into a new community, a community of life governed by hesed, covenant love. You see, the lifeboat is it's not a building. It's not a program. It's not a budget or an institution. It's the living body of Christ, the church. People always want to do church, but first and foremost, we're called to be church. We always want to do ministry, but first and foremost, we have to be ministry. Do you understand? You all are the lifeboat, and I think God has called us to sail our little boat downtown into the sea and do what comes naturally. Pick up folks that are drowning. This is a Central Prez. Gee, it's hard to see this, right? Somewhere right about there. We come down here about... Well, some are down here. Most of us come from other places, come down here about, oh, two hours a week and paddle around. 
This is uh, where the Asbury building is that we've been looking at. It's not the boat, but we could office there and we could meet there whenever we want. It would allow us to do a whole lot more sailing. Well, 20 boats. And all but one came back. Jesus is that one, that one boat. He sails right into hell, saving us. You know, he sank into the abyss in order to give us his life. In the movie Titanic, Jack saves Rose like Jesus saves his bride. You're Rose. Rose is high class, Jack is low class. He's the last and the least, but he teaches Rose about love and freedom. He saves her in just about every possible way that a person could be saved. Jesus said, if you lose your life for my sake and the gospel, you'll find it. But if you save your life, you'll lose it. Which brings up a fascinating question. Who is it that needs uh, saving really? I mean, who is it that's drowning in a sea of violence and death? Is it the folks in the water? The last and the least? Or the folks in the boats? Hiding from the danger of life in lifeboats. Scribes, Pharisees, rich young rulers. You know, to be saved is to love saving. So to be saved, we, we need to go save with, with Jesus. We, we need to lose ourselves and follow the Savior into the sea. It's getting quiet. It's just going to take a, a couple of minutes to get... The boat's organized. <sighs> I love you, Jack. hundred people went into the sea when Titanic sank from under us. There were 20 boats floating nearby and only one came back. One. Afterward, the 700 people in the boats had nothing to do but wait. 
Wait to die. Wait to live. Wait for an absolution that would never come. But now you know there was a man named Jack Dawson and that he saved me in every way that a person can be saved. Well, Jesus saves us, right? In every possible way that a person can be saved. He saves us from this world of violence. He saves us from condemnation and wrath to come. He saves us from ourselves. And you see, when we row our boats into the sea seeking to save others, God in Christ Jesus is saving us. When we seek to build the ark, God in Christ Jesus is building us. When we seek to build the church, God in Christ Jesus is building us. We, we are the church. And so the Father asks us to build so that we could share his joy and be made in his image. He asks us to build so we could share his joy. And as we build, he builds us. We're the church. We're the boat. The boat is a new community, a communion of love. In this world, you see, it seems foolish it seems absurd. It seems weak. And that's because this world is just flooded with violence. But soon the, the earth will be flooded with a holy fire. It will consume this old world, but bear us up and set us down on Mount Zion, a brand new creation and a familiar feast. For on the night our Lord was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it, saying, This is my body given to you. Take and eat. And in the same manner, after supper and having given thanks, he took the cup and he said, This is the new covenant in my blood, shed for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you, and do it in remembrance of me. And so he invites you to come to the Ark of the Covenant, the tabernacle, the sanctuary, the holy place. Confess your sins. Believe God's grace. And be the boat. Amen. Dark cups are wine, light cups are juice, and they're both the love of Jesus. Let's worship. And so, Lord Jesus, we look to you. It scares us, Jesus, but we want to be like you, for you are the one that loves and freedom. You are life. And so, Lord God, we surrender ourselves to you. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would board your boat, that you would take us to where you want to go, we confess we're scared, but we know that you're good. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now sit down right where you are. Sit down real quick. Now listen, uh, while I was preaching, talking about Noah, were some of you thinking to yourself, oh right, God hates violence, and then he destroys the whole world? Were you thinking about that? Were you thinking about that? You ought to have been thinking about that. And we're going to talk about that in two weeks on June 7th, okay? Because uh, there's some amazing treasures at the bottom of the sea. And the ark is more wonderful than any of us, I think, ever imagined. So we'll talk about that on June 7th. We'll also have a time upstairs if you want to talk to board or staff about the possible, uh, our, our thoughts about moving to Asbury, okay? And then the week after that, let me show you this. Um, I want to keep preaching through Genesis. All this stuff is coming up in Genesis, and we'll talk about uh, the Tower of Babel. Remember the story of the Tower of Babel? And the Tower of Babel is kind of like an anti-Pentecost. Um, there are all these Old Testament stories that amazing things happen to them when you get to the New Testament. 
And uh, you remember at Pentecost, people of every different race and nation and tongue and language, they all came together, spoke the same language, and worshipped God together. So I don't want you to get the idea that I want everybody to take their boats downtown. There's also some boats downtown that can go this direction. But you see, the wonderful thing um, is that we can meet downtown and have a party that simulates Pentecost. So we need some people downtown, we need some people outside of downtown, and I think that's the wonderful thing that God is starting to create with the sanctuary, that we have a unique uh, opportunity to manifest uh, that, I, that, I, that I think, uh, I said it before, it's unique. That's why I use notes. So anyway, we'll talk about that in um, a few weeks. And then on June 14th, we'll have a congregational meeting and vote on whether or not we want to re- uh, lease the Asbury building. Now let me show you this real quick. Hannah has uh, some, some pictures. Do you want to pop one of those pictures up there, Hannah? Or Rachel? It's Rachel at the... This is the Asbury Church. It's at 30th and Vallejo. Um, Sam is working on negotiations right now to possibly lease it, and we'll be sending you more information about that in the next few weeks. This is the inside of the church. This is the basement. This is up in the sanctuary. Um, This is, I think, the next one. You can go ahead and flip it. Yeah, this is the neighborhood. All those places in red, the place right next to it here is parking that we would have, ooh, look at that fancy technology, Uh, we would have access to. um, And then these are all parking lots that we would be uh, able to lease. Asbury's in a pretty amazing neighborhood. That's the next slide. Um, It's right up the hill from the pedestrian bridge. And uh, the glass house is right here. There's all sorts of condominium developments, um, uh, amazing things going on in this part of downtown. But anyway, we'll be sending you information about that. June 7th, that's in two weeks, uh, we'll have a time after the service to talk about that with staff and board. And June 14th, we'll have a congregational meeting and vote on it. And in the next two uh, messages, I'll be talking on what I think God is, is doing with us, okay? And pray for me because I usually feel like Noah, all right? So believe the gospel and be the boat. Amen? If you'd like uh, prayer, our ministry team's in back. They'd love to pray for you. Uh, We'd love it if you hung around and had pizza uh, or went salsa dancing. Um, If you'd like to stay here and worship, the band will uh, keep playing, and we invite you to just stay here uh, and sing to the Lord. All right? Bless you.